May I have, the, I have envelope, the envelope, please? please. And the splendid, splendid blow goes to... Splendid Bohemian time, and that means Bill Mesnick and Rich Buckland with you once again. And this is an episode, our fourth invitation to uh, an award that we like to present. We call it the Splendid Boho. And it goes to a character actor of, of note, as opposed to our regular uh, detailing a recording of note. And uh, we have honored, who have we honored in the past, Bill? In the past, we've honored uh, Randy Quaid, Ned Beatty. Oh, yes. Ned Beatty. So this is our fifth. This is, uh, yes. We've done um, Margaret Witcherly and Harold Russell. And today we are going to enter, well, all I can tell you, Bill, is when I think of this guy, I wake up screaming. That's what I <laughs> I Wake Up Screaming. The, uh, I Wake Up Screaming was the role that kind of, the film role that put him on the map. Um, uh, his name is Laird Krieger. I Wake Up Screaming from 1941 on 20th Century Fox. Um, you know, uh, directed by H. Bruce Humberstone from the novel of the same name by Steve Fisher. Now, uh, I was I subscribe to the Criterion Channel as I, you know, told you, and they're currently offering a a curated list of 20th Century Fox noir films. I've been feasting on these films. This was the first one that I saw, and it's starring Victor Mature uh, as Frankie Christopher, who is being pursued for the murder of, uh, of a starlet. He's a, he's a promotions man, and he's, he's promoting the career of this woman, Vicki Lynn, who gets murdered, and he gets uh, tagged for that. And Laird Krieger plays Detective Ed Cornell, who pursues him doggedly uh, throughout the whole film. And, and I'm thinking... I think I've seen this guy. Who is this guy? I don't know him. And so I became obsessed, annoyingly, with Laird Krieger, and I've seen <laughs> all of his films since that time. Um, you're, bing and, you're binging on Laird Krieger, which is interesting as we get deeper into his story. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, so there, and what I learned, this is from 1941, I wake up screaming. What I learned is that this guy was tragic. His, the actor had a tragic story, which we'll get into. Um, you want to take it from here? Well, Mr. Krieger was born in 1913, so we have one of these elder statesmen of uh, of early cinema. Uh, Except they only lived to the age of 31. And he was only 31 years of age. I mean, as an actor, uh, he suffered the uh, the Bunny Berrigan uh issue of having issues that 
cut his career uh, dramatically short. Normally you hear this regarding musicians or younger actors or musicians with drug problems. This was a whole other uh, entity that Mr. Well, you know, I relate to his story because he was pigeonholed and typecast because he was a big man. He was six foot three. He weighed over 300 pounds. And, um, you know, when he was studying as a student at the Pasadena Playhouse, his acting teacher said, no, no, don't lose any weight. Just channel the thin man within. And this did not, this, this was a torture to Laird. He wanted to be a leading man. And, you know, I lost my hair when I was 19. I always tried to prove that I was a leading man. So I wrote plays where, uh, based on Hunter S. Thompson and Jackson Pollock, bald, you know, virile bald men who could be the leading men. Um, so, it, except, you know, I sort of came to, came to peace with it. Laird, unfortunately, did not live long enough because of what the steps that he took to try and change it. Now, for someone who was called by John Barrymore, who was, of course, the uh, most prominent stage and film actor of that generation, he was called the most gifted actor of the last 10 years. Yeah, I, I, I can kind of jive with that. I mean, this performance, and I wake up screaming, because what we do in The Splendid Boho is we talk about a character actor, a sideman, who without which the film would not work. And the obsessive uh, performance of this, this detective who pursues Victor Mature through the whole film and then is revealed at the end to be the murderer himself, um, um, I just was compelled the whole time by this performance. I don't know. I'll tell you what she meant. She knew you resented her running out on you. When you left those two fellas at the bar, you started to get drunk. You drank all that night and the next day. Your mind became more and more inflamed until you were mad with jealousy and hurt pride. I say you went up there and killed her in cold blood. That's not true. How, how much did you know about Laird Krieger prior to... to zip, zip, nada, nothing. nothing. Okay, absolutely nothing. So here's a revelation via the Criterion Collection and an understanding of one of the... Uh, according to those in performance and uh, critics of the day, one of the great actors of, uh, of, of his time. And also, I Wake Up Screaming was a great film. It's really, aside from the annoying use of the, the music over the rainbow, which is, it plays throughout, and I'm not quite sure why they chose to use over the rainbow, um, which is jarring. But the film in terms of its noirness is the cinematography is by a guy named Edward Kronjaeger. And uh, it's really, it's really beautiful. He was also featured in This Gun for Hire, also a film noir, where he played the film's antagonist, Willard Gates, opposite Veronica Lake and Alan Ladd. So the company yeah. that he had kept on film in that short career 
was quite dramatic along with the accolades that he received. But um, yes, and you mentioned the lodger, which was a little later in 1944, um, you know, and he had already begun to try and lose weight. He, in an interview, he said he was trying to infuse the psychotic killer with a romanticism. He wanted to be a leading man. And um, it tragically, he could never pull that off. Now, Laird Krieger was also a victim of the um, homosexual uh, uh, freight train that the studios attempted to avoid collisions with. Absolutely, and that is part of the story. It's because part in of the 1943, story. his uh, presumed lover, David Bacon, was stabbed to death. D- David Bacon had played a character called the Masked Marvel, um, and it was a lurid story, and, and Laird was connected by the press to... David Bacon. And so and he gave interviews and he tried to distance himself and the studio tried to set him up with Darker girls. Maguire was the Darker main Maguire. was the you main know, star. And it was um you know he that was part of this whole idea of wanting to remake himself as a romantic leading man. Well, which led to his tragic diet and surgery. Yeah, and it was the crash diet of the day, and we can only imagine what... Called the beautiful man's diet. We can only imagine what this entailed emotionally, physically, but of of course, that's the Dr. Feelgood drug of choice that so many actors and actresses, in fact, a friend of mine from... uh, the Windsor Mountain School that I had attended as a young man that was uh, a very creatively and politically inspired school would tell the story of Dr. Jacobson, who was a founder of that movement. And you would have actresses like, remember Alice Ghostly? Sure. Mm -hmm. She was... So <laughs> Dr. Jacobson... The female Paul Lynn. Yes, the female Paul Lynn. And Jacobson was also the doctor that shot up JFK. Oh, wow. So this has been going on forever and ever, and uh, way before Dr. Nick was injecting Elvis with anything that, that he desired. But these were very, very dangerous. Uh, and he... And yes, he also he also... When he died of a heart attack after his stomach reduction surgery, uh, which that must have been one of the early uh, prototypes of stomach reduction. And he was saying in an interview that they were going to cut off part of his stomach so that he would not be hungry all the time. Well, he had a heart attack and... Yeah, he had a heart attack following that surgery. But after being placed in an oxygen tent... He seemed to be doing better, but on December 9th, at the age of 31, he passed away uh, yeah. in 1944. His mother, his mother was at his bedside. Yes, yes. And Hangover Square was released two months after his death. And as you were citing, you had seen Hangover Square and regarded it as, in the great 
critical language that you will often utilize awful. Yeah, well, Hangover Square was an attempt to recreate the success of The Lodger. So it was the same director, John Brom, uh, George Sanders, uh, once again reprising a role as a, as a detective for Scotland Yard, and Krieger reprising a role of a homicidal uh, murderer. But um, he had drastically lost weight. You, lo- you look at that film, he's, he still looks hulking because he's 6'3", and he's huge, but he's not as broad in the waist. But he's, he looks miserable, and apparently, by all accounts, he was mean and irritable through the whole thing. The only thing about this film that's interesting is the score is by Bernard Herrmann, and because um, it, it's about a composer. He plays a composer, and the, the, the end, the, the ultimate scene is he's playing his concerto while the, the building is burning down. Um, and uh, the music is great, you know, but uh, the, the film itself is kind of hokey and, and not real good. In relation to our wake-up screaming, we want to, of course, um, remember the foundation of the film and an actor who I don't believe is given the credit that he deserves. But if you've ever seen a motion picture titled Kiss of Death, uh, the work of Victor Mature is much more substantial than uh, I I believe he's given credit for. Yeah, I mean, up till, you know, I mean, my experience with Victor Mature was uh, uh, like, uh, did Her- he do Hercules? Hercules, of course. When yeah. we, it's not, yeah. when we're kids, that's... That's all I knew. From that's, all, that's all you knew. Exactly, exactly. But when I saw Wake Up Screaming, I said, oh, he's good. He's really, he's, he's young, he's, um, he's, you know, sexy, and he's, uh, he's very cocky. He plays that role really well. And as I had stated to you, when I first went to Los Angeles in my quest to meet every uh, every character actor that I could possibly meet who had caught my attention as a younger man, uh, beginning with my search for Larry Parks, uh, due to my fascination with the blacklist, et cetera, et cetera, uh, Victor Mature I had met along with George Raft, and Victor Mature, in, he was one of the most handsome uh, gentleman I had ever seen. I could understand why, with no talent whatsoever, he was going to be placed in motion pictures. Right, and then he was sort of a joke in uh, the movie Head. Well, that, right? yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. He plays a, he, he's almost they turned him into Fabian in a way. Yeah, you know, yeah. he. This is the kid you see sitting on the stoop, and you go, "I want him in my movie," even though I don't care if he can act, I don't care if he can sing, I don't care. But it turned out that Mature did have a uh, a towering ability to be able to hold a good script upright. And in Kiss of Death, I think that uh, that's proven, especially. Yeah, and in I Wake Up Screaming, he does a great job. Also, Betty Grable, as uh, Vicky Lynn's sister, is you know young Betty Grable, gorgeous and does a good job. Young Alicia Cook is uh, uh, one of the prime suspects yeah, well, in, the, in the murder. And well, he's great. You, uh, uh, it's, I recommend this film. I wake up screaming. Yeah. And, and later remade in 1953 as Vicky. Yeah. Yeah. As, the, as, as there was a remake of Kiss of Death with David Caruso 
and uh, proof once again that that less is more. Uh, <laughs> Caruso could really. Uh, well, he, he had a lot of emotional problems because this was coming right off of his NYPD blue period. But Mature never had those conflicts. He was just happy to be exactly who he could be uh, and didn't have a great well, deal. The of- film wouldn't be, in my estimation, anything without Laird Krieger. And, and that's, that's why we- I've nominated him. And due to that nomination, we award our fifth Splendid boho to the legendary Laird Krieger. And I'd like to end with a quote that Laird uh, made. When he got letters, he, like I said, he was really trying to get away from playing these monstrosity characters. And he said, the only letters I like are from the few kind folks that realize that I'm only an actor trying to make a living. Yes, that's beautiful. Uh, that's it. He yeah. was very, he was just one of us, yeah. just an actor trying to make a living. And for that, uh, for that wealth of humility to be able to be uh, exposed, it says just about everything you need to know. And he had these complications between his homosexuality and his uh, his physical, what you called body shaming. Although the studio did make many efforts to state within uh, magazines and, and plant these stories about how he was considered quite sexy by women. Yeah, they were work. They were trying to work with they him. They were trying to work you with know, him. You yeah. know, he was. Yeah. You know, he was obsessed. I, I might mention also that the. He could not really get any traction with his career until he optioned a, a play. So he self-produced a play based on Oscar Wilde at the El Capitan Theater. And that was his first success. It was, a, you know, a small, like, equi- broad, uh, Hollywood equivalent of Off-Broadway. And uh, he made his... He got some attention playing uh, the the famous playwright uh, and homosexual Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde, right. And that was probably the initial, I think it was Barrymore. Because Robert Morley had had a hit with it in in London. Right, right. And I think that's where he came to John Barrymore's attention initially. Yeah, Uh, he was a very sensitive, elegant uh, Actor. Yes, yes. And, uh, you know, during a period of time where everything was uh, was based on box office and uh, there is no, <laughs> there's only fan magazines to, uh, y- many people are not familiar with these motion pictures. And as you indicated, seeing this Criterion collection, uh, having access to it, opens many, many doors for film fans that they will never have opened. And you, uh, for all... Yeah, I just just watched three Richard Widmark pictures in a row. And you have been in the business for decades. You have been on on stage, on screen. You, You are a teacher. You are someone of immense knowledge. And here is a case where 
this somehow just evaded you. And yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's like you said, you as a kid were watching the million dollar movie, seeing all these films. Uh, somehow I, I that part of my education was missed. Well, you did get to we <laughs> when million dollar movie was on in New York on WOR, they would show the same film three times a day. Yes. So whatever was how many times do you think we saw the Jolson story? Oh, that one I watched countless times. Yeah, yeah, countless, countless times. Along with the Bowery. And I, I remember Yankee, Yankee Doodle Dandy watching. Yes. A hell of a lot of times. Too. Yes. And, but th- that was also like King Kong, every Thanksgiving, every Fourth King of Kong, July. King Kong, Mighty Joe Young. Mighty Joe those. Young, yeah. yeah. There was, and then once Plan 9 from Outer Space made its, <laughs> its syndicated debut, you couldn't get away from that one either. But I thank you so much for bringing Mr. Krieger to uh, our attention, along with the Criterion Collection. So if you are a film fan and you do have access to the subscription site, um, we recommend it highly. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, a wonderful choice and a, uh, unfortunately, uh, very tragic story combined with the good fortune of a talent that he was able to share with us, uh, albeit for a short period of time. So here is to Mr. Laird Krieger, the splendid boho goes to you, and we thank you. And uh, as Wolf Blitzer might say, may your memory be a blessing. Well said. My friend, it has been a pleasure, and we shall be uh, back with another episode, of course, of Put on a Stack of 45s, where we... Take a 45 RPM of note and uh, present it to you as only Mr. Mesnick and I can do. Mr. Mesnick, I love you, and we will see you soon. Love you too, buddy. (laughs) 